0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is August the 16th, 2022, the quiet season in news, quiet season perhaps for podcasts. This time last year, a show, wasn't very quiet, with two writers, Mia Bloom and Sophia Moskalensko on an organization called QAnon. Uh, their book was called Pastels and Pedophiles, Inside the Mind of QAnon. I'm not sure if QAnon really has a mind, but they tried to get inside it. Uh, I have to admit, I wasn't particularly convinced of the significance of QAnon then, and I'm still not. Looking QAnon up these days, we can of kind of, of course, find lots of information about it on Wikipedia. Um, Sarah Palin is making a comeback. I'm sure she's the wannabe queen of QAnon. There is another queen um, that you can write uh, that you can read about who was just arrested. Lots of peculiar stories. One of the more principal QAnon figures now is just found in Australia. Uh, there's even a musical called QAnon, which isn't taking the conspiracy theory particularly seriously. One book, though, it is taking QAnon seriously. And the idea of QAnon as a public menace uh, is a new book. The Storm is Upon Us, how QAnon became a movement, a cult, and conspiracy theory of everything. It's written by a distinguished journalist, Mike Rothschild, who is talking to us from Southern California and from Pasadena today. Mike, convince me that QAnon matters. Convince me that it's not just another silly freak show that we talk about in August and when the real news comes back, then we focus on that.
1: Well, it's uh, it's both. It's it's everything it is. There are definitely elements of it that are extremely freak show. Um, you know, even when I first stumbled on it back in early 2018, I had trouble taking it seriously. You know, this this was the people with hashtags marching around saying that there were going to be mass arrests. I mean, it just seemed like every other conspiracy movie. But I started to take it seriously when I realized that it it had a lot of links to scams and frauds that had run on for several decades in some cases and had uh, built millions of dollars out of people. But what QAnon was offering wasn't some kind of a financial reward or a great windfall. It was the good feelings that you would have when your enemies were brutally brought to justice. And I realized that you can only tease someone that their opponents are going to be hanged at dawn for so long before someone decides, well, it's not happening, so I'm gonna do it. And what we've seen over the last few years is this idea of I'm going to do it has become much more mainstream and we're seeing much more violence. We're seeing a conspiracy movement that's gotten tangled up in a lot of other movements such as the anti-vaccine movement, the stolen election movement. And QAnon's mythology has fallen by the wayside somewhat, but its tenets, its core beliefs of an all-powerful deep state, high-level trafficking rings that run the world, the solution being violence, and Donald Trump kind of in control of everything with a grand plan, I think is unfortunately much more mainstream than ever. So the hashtags and the branding and the iconography, that stuff might not matter as much, but I don't think you can understand mainstream American conservative politics until you understand the mainstreaming of what used to be extremely bizarre and unpalatable ideas.
0: Uh, I take your point, Mike, but uh, aren't you falling into the QAnon trap of turning the conspiracy theory into a conspiracy? QAnon spoke about so many things. It's such a odd uh, digitally ubiquitous thing. I'm sure you can find QAnon commentary on everything. So in your explanation, aren't you simply weaving it into everything and then saying it's everywhere when in fact it's actually nowhere?
1: Well, it's it's not everywhere. And there's very few people who actually believe in all of QAnon. You know, the, the polling on this is very hard to pin down. But there is something like only five or six or seven percent of people who, who, when polled, believe that QAnon is real. The problem is that a number of a much higher number of people believe in some of what Q espouses and don't know anything about Q. So you have people who believe the election was stolen, who believe COVID nineteen was a hoax, who believe that uh, the, the the culture war is coming for them. These are all things that Q talked about extensively, and of course were talked about long before QAnon. Q just put these things in a very social media friendly, very shareable package that then opens you up to a whole other roster of conspiracy theories. You know, with QAnon, you can jump into the anti-vaccine movement. You can jump into Federal Reserve conspiracy theories, medical conspiracy theories. Any number of things can be opened up to you because you saw something about QAnon. So I'm, I'm, I've never been, you know, I've never claimed that QAnon is, you know, ensnared millions and millions of people, but there are people who believe it. And those people spread it to other people and they get turned on to other conspiracy theories that they then spread to other people.
0: Uh, you talk about spreading, Mike. Uh, we had William J. Bernstein on the show a few months ago financial writer in the book, The Delusion of Crowds, Why People Go Mad in Groups. He talks about the conspiracy virus of organizations like QAnon as being as dangerous as COVID. Is it any coincidence that Q and QAnon seems to be impactful in the age of the pandemic? How would you separate conceptually our age of qAnon and our age of covid uh, of course one is spelt with a q and one with a c
1: well they're increasingly they're not separable they are they are really the same thing and qAnon really did start to fizzle out in early 2020 you know the the republicans had had a terrible midterm in 2018 it was clear that nothing was really happening with q's prophecies it just people weren't talking about it as much it didn't seem to matter as much and then when you had the pandemic you had an event that was a Petri dish for conspiracy theories, just like any major unexpected world event is, Uh, you know, suddenly billions of people were locked down people weren't going anywhere. People weren't doing anything. People lost their jobs. They were cut off from their friend groups, from their families. And when that happens, you look for real explanations for what's going on. You don't trust what you're being told. And in some cases, what you're being told is really shifting our understanding of the scientific mechanisms behind COVID was really changing in those early days. So you don't trust science. You don't trust the experts. You want to know what's really going on. What aren't you being told? And even more than that, you're looking for somebody to blame. You're looking for someone that you can pin this down on and say, you did this. This is your fault. And QAnon and movements like QAnon are really good at providing scapegoats. They fill the role that a lot of anti-Semitic conspiracies did in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Here is a group of people who did something bad to you, and we're going to figure out what we can do about it. And unfortunately, with uh, COVID came the increasing prominence of social media in people's lives. People were cut off. They went on Facebook. They're looking for answers. They join a Facebook group that says, oh, maybe Bill Gates is to blame for this, or maybe 5G Internet is to blame for this. And the Facebook algorithm says, oh, you joined that group. Here's what we think you would like that's in that same vein. So maybe it's an anti-vaccine group. It's, uh, you know, an anti, maybe it's an anti-Semitic group. Maybe it's the Great Awakening, which is QAnon. And suddenly you get pulled into a world where all of these things are connected and you wind up radicalizing yourself without meaning to do so just because you're desperate for answers. You're desperate to understand what is happening.
0: Um, Mike, you keep on referring to somebody called Q um, and we have jumped into this without even really defining what QAnon is. Um, does it have a center or is it just the kind of weird internet meme of people um, inventing some Q figure, an author, and, and, and it has become this uh, a, a anonymous viral rumor mill that um, the guys like you write books about
1: well, there is a person or people who wrote the Q drops. I mean, we, you know, just the at Q the drops. basics.
0: What, so, so, so this is a book. What is it? A website? A book? Sure, it
1: sure. The the Q drops are the posts made by Q on first on the image board 4chan. Um, very notorious place. You know, there's not a lot of value there. Then, uh, Q started making the drops. Right, so
0: on, 4chan is a uh it's an it, image uh, board yeah it, it, uh, it's a it's a place for crazies you and when i tried to actually go on it on my internet i wouldn't even allowed onto it because um it's unavailable according to my chrome browser because it's related to adult content but maybe some other people will be able to access 4chan so, so it's yeah sort of, it, it's an outgrowth it's a it's an ideological outgrowth of the dark web is mm-hmm. it mike
1: well, it's not dark web, and I think that's that's something that a lot of people sort of assume because there's so much weird, you know, occultic kind of stuff with Q that you have to have a special browser or special software. Anybody can go there if you, you know, if you set your browser up to be able to go you there. Anyone can go
0: to 4chan. What? Anyone can go to 4. chan Yes,
1: anyone can go to 4chan. Right. Anyone can uh, go uh, to 8chan. Clear,
0: 4chan is not just QAnon. It's just there are QAnon cells, shall we say, on QAnon. Yeah on 4chan and on right. 8chan.
1: Right. So these are these are places that anybody can go to. And one of the things that happened when QAnon really started to catch on was that it jumped from 4chan, which is a very, you know, very anarchic place. It's designed that way. It's designed to be hard to navigate. You're not really supposed to be able to find things on it. If you don't understand the culture and the way people talk, it's totally impenetrable. But what happened was that it started to make the jump to places like Reddit and to Twitter and to YouTube, which are very easy to navigate, which everybody goes to. And it became much easier to stumble on QAnon, uh, The Great Awakening, anti-Semitic conspiracies, anti-Clinton stuff, anti-Soros stuff. And it was done in a very shareable way. So there were QAnon videos that took off that were maybe 10 or 15 minutes long, very easy to watch, very easy to share. They would get hundreds of thousands of views within days. And this stuff really started to penetrate into the wider conspiracy world when it got off of places like 4chan. But Q only made the the Q posts on 4chan and then later on 8chan.
0: Mike, for your book, you're not. This is not the first, and I'm guessing it's probably not the last book on QAnon. The storm is upon us. How QAnon became a movement, cult, and conspiracy theory of everything. What did you do? Did you spend a lot of time on? 4chan and 8chan, I assume you didn't use your your last name, Rothschild. <laughs> I don't
1: a uh, no, no, that, that would have been a bad idea. Um, you, what I did was I actually didn't spend much time there because what I was looking at was elements of the conspiracy that filtered into the mainstream a little bit more. So, you know, 4chan and 8chan, they're so difficult to figure out what's yeah. real and what's not there. But when things start to spread to places like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, and they start getting popularity outside of that world, that's when I would start to take notice. So any kind of um, video that had you know six figures in views, or, or a Q and on Twitter thread that had five or six thousand retweets, that's something that would pique my interest. When a mainstream celebrity mentioned Q, when Q uh, showed up at a Trump rally, you know Q fans waving signs and, and wearing homemade T-shirts with Q slogans on them. That's when I would get interested. But I find that there's really very little value in digging through you know countless posts on places like 4chan looking for little nuggets of information because you're just not going to find it. You, you can't separate real and fake on places like that.
0: Mike, I mentioned that we did a. A show with Mia Bloom and Sofia Moskalenko last year. Who have a book out? Your new book, "The Storm Is Upon Us," is also about QAnon. What new news are you breaking in this book? What are you telling the world about QAnon that we didn't already know?
1: Well, one of the things that I wanted to do with with the book was bring in people who had talked about areas that Q touches on, but hadn't written about Q. So I talked to experts in cults. I talked to experts in conspiracy theories, and I talked to a lot of people who had family members and loved ones who had been part of Q. So I talked to a guy whose best friend of 30 years uh, got sucked into Q because he thought that the U.S. government was stealing his investments and things got so bad with this guy that uh, they had to go to court, and there were court documents that had never been made public that I was able to get access to. I was able to talk to experts in religious violence, uh, people who really had never been connected to QAnon, and and not so much talk about Q, but talk about what it was linked to, how bad could it get, what roads could this go down, and that's really what I wanted to do with this. You know, a book that sort of goes through all of the q drops and sort of debunks all of them that's not really interesting to me but trying to place this in the context of the wider american and worldwide conspiracy movement is something that hadn't been done because it's just too big it's too big a subject to do in one article you really do need to do it in a book and of course for most people it's like well why would i want to read a book about QAnon? because it's not about that it's about how we process information how we think about things how we deal with uh, setbacks and how we deal with not getting the things that we want. What radicalizes people? Why do people believe that this is real? Those were the questions I really wanted to answer.
0: What's the difference Mike between a movement? I don't even know if we call it a movement, a, a rumor mill like QAnon and, uh, a, a monotheistic tradition like Christianity, you talked about America. America was built, uh, founded on a conspiracy theory. Uh, by Christians who believed in a children's story that many of them still believe in, I don't really see the difference between QAnon and Islam or Christianity. It's just a a rather childish comic uh, remix of it, isn't it?
1: Well, it is, and the problem is that people believe those things, and of course, well, they the best one...
0: Christianity. I mean, right. You wouldn't have written a book called um, Christianity. Uh, uh, the storm is upon us. How Christianity <laughs> became a movement, cult, and conspiracy theory of everything, even though it actually has done.
1: Well, I mean, I, somebody's probably written that book, but Marx he,
0: did many years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, and uh, and Marx is you know continues to influence and us Christ today. And
0: Christopher updated it about twenty years ago. So yeah. yeah, there is a tradition of that.
1: So what I what I found is that Q believers fuse elements of Christianity. With what they believe, you get constant references to the Bible, references to uh, spiritual warfare, the armor of God, Bible verses, and yeah. Q and and sort of Christianity and prophetic movements in general operate on a very similar structure. You're waiting for something great to happen. You are you are decoding the clues that tell you what this is going to be, how it's going to happen, how you'll know it's going on, and for most Q believers. It doesn't go that, it, you know, it doesn't go farther than that. They don't pick up arms. They don't commit violence. But some of them do. And just like some Christians commit acts Well, of
0: I, I haven't heard of, you know, We the, the news today is all about uh, Rushdie, Salman Rushdie's attacker, who apparently was radicalized by a trip in 2018 to Lebanon. I mean, if he was Christian, he probably would have joined Q. What, what examples of. QAnon violence do you have? I mean, are you are you associating it intimately, for example, with January 6th? I mean, there were certainly Q members there, but there were many others as well. I mean, it wasn't a QAnon event.
1: No, January 6th was not a QAnon event, but there was a definite presence of Q there, certainly with merchandise and shirts and things like that. Okay, and I take Q...
0: it, but what but what it what examples of you, you mentioned QAnon violence. Do we have Mike?
1: Sure. There's there's a number of them. There's a, the Hoover Dam standoff in 2019, where a, a Marine veteran named Matthew Wright got in his homemade armored truck. He had two guns and 900 rounds of ammunition, and he barricaded himself in front of Hoover Dam. And he's live streaming on his phone, demanding that President Trump release the unredacted Inspector General report. Well, there was no unredacted. Inspector General report that came straight out of a Q post. You have Q pill lawyers who have have advised their clients to kidnap their children so that they won't be sold into sexual slavery by child protective services. One of these women shot and killed her lawyer. Uh, You've had people murder. You've had murders committed. You had the murder of the Gambino family boss by a guy who wrote on his hand, Q sent me. You had a, a QAnon believer who ran his brother through the head with a sword. Just uh, last year, you had this man in California who took his two children to Mexico and murdered them because he had gotten so completely into conspiracy research and QAnon research that he thought his kids were lizard people. You know, th- there, there are, there is a body count with this movement. There is a long That's list very
0: of- It doesn't, it, I have to say none of this really I find particularly chilling. Let, let's talk about uh, Trump. You know, the news this morning is Giuliani now is a target. Lots of news continually about Trump. But the GOP seems to be tiptoeing away from him. A piece in the Post this morning about uh, his loopy uh, uh, his loopy Senate candidates, Mul- Mul- Mick Mulvaney, who, who had been uh, his chief of staff, uh, believes that he would actually he'd be the only Republican to lose in 2024. That made sense. Um, isn't the demise of Trump the demise of of QAnon? I'm curious if DeSantis does indeed become the candidate. Do you see the rise of a DeSantis as the end of Q, at least within the Republican Party itself?
1: Well, I certainly don't think DeSantis will be as friendly to Q as Trump has been. You know, Trump has retweeted and and now on Truth Social he shared hundreds and hundreds of posts by QAnon believers. Um, they, they still help hold him up as this messianic figure who can do no wrong. And of course he hasn't receded. He hasn't faded out. He's still the presumptive nominee for 2024 this
0: entire mind. I don't know if anyone else is, but anyway, I mean,
1: well, this, this Mar-a-Lago search has really galvanized, um, you know, his, his candidacy. I mean, he hasn't even declared he's running yet, but there is a strain of the far right that deeply distrusts federal law enforcement. And you know, we, that's going back to the nineties when you had the, the uprising of the militia movement. And of course that ended with a huge spasm of violence well, with yeah, the, Oklahoma we had the Oklahoma
0: bombing, bombing and we right. had all sorts of apocalyptic foreboding from progressives then and nothing really happened. I mean it was a catastrophe and a huge tragedy, but it wasn't followed by civil war or any more bombs. And and I mean no. that Oklahoma bombing could have come right out of the Q playbook.
1: Oh, it, it totally could have. And one of the things that I found most chilling in the writing of this book was I talked to, a, a, one of the foremost scholars on sort of the religious underpinnings of Al Qaeda. And I said, you know, am I off base for saying that QAnon could go down the road of Al Qaeda and this guy, Mark Jurgensmeyer, I interviewed him in the book, he said, no, you're not off base at all. He said that, uh, imprisoned members of Al Qaeda talk the exact same way that QAnon believers do the belief in their eventual triumph that the war will take a long time. They're going to have to suffer setbacks before they win. That kind of thinking is very common in religious violence movements. And I think there is an element of religious violence to QAnon. It certainly hasn't led to an Oklahoma city bombing or a nine 11, but Q also hasn't been around that long. So where it finally might go, we have no idea.
0: Yeah, I have to admit. Again, I'm I'm not completely completely convinced. One um, one headline that I saw today it was interesting is that um, you know QAnon, of course, is reacting gleefully to the Mar-a-Lago home, but uh, these people seem to be they 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 exist on the edge, on the margins. They, they they're taking over, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center the southern border. We did a show uh, last week with Kirk Wallace Johnson. He has a new book out, The Fisherman and the Dragon, about a violent civil war between immigrants and KKK members in the 1960s on the Gulf Coast. To what extent now is an organization like Q, will it just migrate to the borders, to uh, fighting uh, illegal, immig- illegal immigrants and becoming essentially a vigilante organization
1: yeah that started to happen somewhat there was an incident and I think it may have been at the beginning of this year I can't remember off the top of my head where um a butterfly refugee or a butterfly refuge on the southern border got so many threats from QAnon believers that they had to close because a rumor started going around uh, cue social media that there was trafficking going on through there, that they were, you know, hustling, you know, illegal immigrants and trafficked children and drugs through this butterfly refuge. And they got so many threats. They had, they had to close this down. And there was no evidence that this ever existed. Now this is one incident, but things like this are going to continue. We're seeing the weaponizing well,
0: been things like this, right from the beginning of the history of America. Um, Mike, what about digital technology? You have talked about, obviously, the internet is the main viral platform for Q. What do you expect? How do you expect the metaverse to change this? We've done a number of shows on on the metaverse about how it's becoming increasingly the quote unquote reality of mm-hmm. life online, virtual reality. And Mark Zuckerberg, of course, is making a multi billion dollar bet on the metaverse. Do you expect the shift to virtual reality to be good for Q?
1: I think that it will be good for the conspiracy movement in general. Um, Conspiracy theorists are excellent at adapting to new technology. They adapted to the printing press. They adapted to the earliest versions of the Internet. You know, very early on in the 90s, you would find conspiracy theories on you know Usenet and bulletin board systems and Yahoo groups and places like that. Every time there's a new popular social media technology, the first thing you find are conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism. It was all over Twitter. It was all over Facebook. Uh, it was all over Reddit. It's all over TikTok right now. There is a huge influx of extremist and anti-Semitic and QAnon videos on TikTok, and these platforms drag their feet continuously on enforcing their own rules. They don't know what to do with these movements. They don't take them seriously. And they don't want to be seen as being overly uh, censoring of oppositional viewpoints, even if those viewpoints are openly advocating violence.
0: Well, let's end, Mike, then on what are we going to do? Are you suggesting that the platforms need to be more censorous? You you mentioned that Conspiracy theories have always won out with new technology. The printing press, the printing press, of course, enabled Martin Luther, who, amongst other things, was a pretty violent anti-Semite. Do you think that Luther's book should have been banned? Where do we where do we control QAnon or should we control QAnon? As I said, to me, it's just uh, an itch which we should essentially avoid. It doesn't seem to be very destructive or scary, but you obviously disagree.
1: Well, I think that we ignore these things at our own peril. You know, the, the, the standard line what with does these that things. Mean,
0: we ignore these things at our own peril. I mean, everything we ignore at our own peril. Are you suggesting that Luther's book, for example, should have been banned? Should well, be put in jail because he exploited anti Semitism?
1: No, and I don't think it should be illegal or, uh, you know, I don't think there should be any kind of crackdown by the government on this kind of speech. I don't think that's the government's role in this. I don't want the government doing that. But I think that these platforms have to enforce their own rules. And if they don't want Before something- 4chan and
0: 8chan doesn't have any rules. That's what right.
1: right. And unfortunately, any kind of media platform that doesn't have limits on speech Some kind of limit on speech is going to turn into that. It's going to be anarchic and full of anti-Semitism and full of harassment and full of threats. That's just the way these things go. And if uh, Facebook or Twitter doesn't want something like QAnon on their platform, that doesn't mean you can't take your beliefs somewhere else. There will always be somebody else who is fine with saying whatever you want to. It's just that most people don't want to be on that kind of platform you know, a, a platform where you can say anything is going to lead to harassment and threats and violence. It's always the way it is. So I, I think the social media platforms have a vested interest. It's better for them to have rules on what they allow and what they don't allow. They're not deciding what's true and what's not true. They're deciding what they allow and what they don't allow.
0: Yeah, but let's, Take that one step further in terms of practicality, Mike. Um, You've presented QAnon as conspiracy of the world, conspiracy over COVID, conspiracy over Trump, conspiracy over Jewish groups, over George Soros, and blah blah blah. Are you suggesting that any kind of implicit conspiratorial assumption um, or or um, or uh, or or, or argument should be banned from Twitter and Facebook? I mean, first, utterly impractical, and secondly, it sounds rather Heavy,
1: no, I'm not suggesting that. Well. I I think most conspiracy theorizing is fine. It's it, it most of it is harmless. Even a lot of what Q people do is not particularly bad or harmful. It's just that it some of it is. And what think, is
0: what what should be banned? Then you are you, you, dancing around this one. What should Twitter not allow? That it harassment can't
1: be harassment, um, violent threats organized harassment or violent threats um i think blatantly anti-religious imagery you know memes things like that you know any anything that has the potential to bring down a mob on someone i think is probably something i personally would not want on a platform you know that doesn't you know they don't have the power to make things illegal but they have the, the power to say you can't say that here you can say it somewhere else but you can't say it here
0: well if you want more on QAnon, The Storm is Upon Us by Mike Rothschild, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything, an interesting new book. Certainly a very smart young journalist. Congratulations, Mike, on that. What Thank else you. are you reading these days to um, make sense of an odd world where people believe in the strangest things?
1: Well, the, the book I'm working on right now, it's a history of the conspiracy theories about the Rothschild banking family. I'm not related um so the book's called uh jewish space laser yeah i'm working on it right now yeah and uh, i've uh i've read a huge amount of really interesting material for that book and the one book that i really really recommend wholeheartedly is a book called the news from waterloo written by a, a english professor named brian cathcart and it traces exactly how the uh the news of wellington's victory at waterloo made its way from belgium to London, of course, this is something that the Rothschilds are intimately tangled up with. There have been 200 years of conspiracy theories that Nathan Rothschild or his couriers were at the battle and you know were so close they could smell the smoke and they took a midnight horse ride to austin and braved a once a century channel storm to get the news back so Nathan could make enough money to take over the world. None of that happened, and Cathcart's book really meticulously traces exactly how. And what routes these messages took to get there? You know, Wellington had a messenger. There were newspapers coming from across the channel. Nathan Rothschild was involved in it a little bit. He got the news earlier, but not to the point where he was able to make some vast fortune. The book's very accessible. It it's, it doesn't read like an academic paper. It re, it's very kind of it's very gripping, and it has a lot of action. So I would I would wholeheartedly recommend that. Book.